1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 651 with Sam Horn. If you've got some verbal conflicts in your world, some toxicity, some bullying, some yuck, Sam's got some pro tips and tools to help you with that. She is a keynote speaker, and I just love her memorable turns of phrases. That's a whole lot of fun. So you'll learn one, words to lose and words to use in a conflict. Two, the mindset shift that makes us feel less like a victim. And three, a couple strategies for dealing with workplace bullies. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to ads we've referenced, you can find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP651. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our cool resources such as the Gold Nuggets, which provides summary email wisdom from each of the guests. You can get them right on the day the episode releases so you can hear a, a quick summary write-up of of Sam's insights, as well as access to the vault of all 651 such write-ups. That's the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Sam's story. Sam Horn is the CEO of the Intrigue Agency and the Tung Fu Training Institute. Her three TEDx talks and nine books, including Tung Fu, Pop, got your attention, and someday is not a day of the week. have been featured in the New York Times, on NPR, and presented to hundreds of organizations worldwide, including Intel, Cisco, Boeing, the U.S. Navy, Nationwide, and Fidelity. Big thanks to Sam for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number 1 in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedincom awesome. That's linkedin.com/b e a w e s o m e as in you are being awesome, be awesome to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Sam. Sam, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You're
2: welcome, Pete. I'm looking forward to sharing some ideas with your listeners.
1: Oh, well, I'm excited to, to hear your wisdom. You've written a couple books which are helping resolve an issue that our listeners have been asking with regard to difficult bosses and coworkers. how to deal with them well, and, and you've got a wealth of expertise. Maybe you can start us off by telling any particularly noteworthy stories about a bad boss or bad collaborators that uh, might make our jaws drop and captivate Uh, us. No pressure, Sam. (laughs) uh,
2: Well, you know what? The origin story for Tung Fu actually does that is that uh, Dr. Ray Oshiro out of University of Hawaii had asked me to do a program on dealing with difficult people without becoming one ourselves. And at our first break, there was a gentleman, he didn't even get up to get a cup of coffee, some fresh air. He just sat there gazing off into space. Mm. And I was curious. I went over, I said, what are you thinking? And he said, Sam, I'm a realtor. He said, I would deal with some really demanding people, and they seem to think they can treat me any way they want to. I'm tired of it. He said, I thought you were going to teach us some zingers to fire back at people and put them in their place. Said, that's not what this is about. (laughs) And he was the one who said, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, I've studied karate, taekwondo, judo. He said, what you're talking about is not about putting people in their place, right? It's about putting ourselves in their place so we can respond with compassion instead of contempt. And he said, it's kind of like a verbal form of Kung Fu, isn't it? Eureka, the perfect title, that's what it is. Tung Fu, Martial Arts for the Mind and Mouth.
1: All right. Well, that's a great summary right there. It's like, it's not about zingers. It's mm-hmm. not about sticking it to them. Mm-hmm. But you, you put yourself in their place and are able to respond with compassion. Can you give us an example of of how that could play out conversationally?
2: Oh boy, can I give you an example? So now Pete, unless people are driving and listening to this, I hope they grab paper and I hope they put a vertical line right down the center and put words to lose on the left and words Hmm. to use on the right. Because we're going to go right into what we face every day on the job. So on the left, put complain, right? Because we hear complaints, customers complain, co-workers complain, so put complain over on the left. Guess what we don't do when people complain. Explain, put explain on the left because explanations come across as excuses if someone says, "Hey, this zoom call was supposed to start at nine o'clock. Oh, I know it's just we some people are late. nope. Explanations make people angrier because they feel we're not being accountable. Over on the right, put a train. When people complain, don't explain, take the A train, A for agree, you're right, the Zoom call was supposed to start at nine o'clock, apologize, and I'm sorry, we're running a few minutes late act, and I've got that information you'd requested, let's jump right into it, rock and roll. Do you see how the A train expedites complaints and explanations aggravate them?
1: Hmm. I do, and Sam. It is. A, it's just a joy to hear the way you explain things. That your your keynote background is just shining through. Words to lose. Words to use. The A train. And it's memorable. So I appreciate it. Keep it coming. So agree, apologize, and act. Mm-hmm. And not to get too into the weeds here, but when something is late, you suggest the act there is just, and we're just going to get started now.
2: Any alternatives come to mind? Absolutely. It's Here's another one. Say people are arguing, right? Say something's gone wrong and people are finger pointing, blaming, shaming. Over on the left, put fine fault, right? Well, hey, it wasn't my fault. So-and-so was in charge of it. Well, I never saw that memo. Back and forth we go finding fault serves no good purpose over on the right put find solutions and when people are arguing and it is this blaming shaming interrupt them <laughs> and then say these magic words hey We could argue for the rest of the day, and that's not, again, get this done. Instead, let's figure out how we're going to prevent this from happening again, or instead let's put a system in place, and you see how when we switch the attention to finding solutions instead of fault, now that conversation is serving a good purpose instead of a waste of everyone's time.
1: All right, that's good. Do so we have some more? You want more? I do. I do. Oh, do
2: I have more? <laughs> words to lose, words to use. That's here. All right. Now over on the left, put negative accusation. Say somebody says, You women are so emotional. If we deny a negative accusation, if we say, we're not emotional, uh uh-oh, we just prove their point. If someone says, you don't care about your customers, and we say, we do too care about our customers, now we're proving their point, right? So on the left, instead of denying an accusation, over on the right, redirect an accusation. I'll give you two quick examples. I was speaking at a conference, and a woman put her hand up in the Q&A, and she said, Sam, Why are women so catty to each other? (laughs) I decided to Don Draper that, Pete. Don Draper and Mad Men said, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. So I said, ladies, let's agree to never ask or answer that question again. Because every time we do, we perpetuate that stereotype. Instead, don't repeat a negative accusation because it reinforces it. Instead, redirect it. Say, you know what I found? Women are real champions of each other. In fact, I wouldn't have this job if someone hadn't stepped up and recommended me. Or here's another thing you can do on the right, instead of repeating it, which reinforces it, say, what do you mean? Or why do you say that? Because if someone says you don't care about your customers and we say we do too, we're in a debate. Yeah. You should say, well, why do you say that? They may say, well, I've left three messages and no one's called back. Ah, what do you mean? Or why do you say that gets to the root of the accusation? And we can solve that instead of reacting to the attack.
1: Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, so, well, hey, if you got some more, we'll take them.
2: <laughs> Dude. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about when something goes wrong, shall we? All right. Okay. Someone's made a mistake. Someone's dropped the ball, right? Isn't it true that that word should is right there on the tip of our tongue? You should have been more careful. You should have brought that up in the staff meeting. You should have asked George. He's handled that before. And yet, the word should comes across as a critic. Mm -hmm. People will resent us even if what we're saying is right. So, over on the left foot, mistake, the word should punishes the past. No one can undo the past. They will resent us even if what we're saying is right. Over on the right, we're going to shape behavior instead of should it. And with these words, next time, from now on, in the future. Because if we say from now on, if you have questions, please bring them up in the staff meeting because other people are probably wondering the same thing. In the future, if that happens, if you could, do you see how we're being a coach instead of a critic? We're shaping behavior instead of shaming it. And people are learning from their mistakes Instead of losing face over their mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. Want more? Want more? Well,
1: well, that's good. Well, so I guess I'm thinking about, so these are great best practices in terms mm-hmm. of when you're just engaging, you're collaborating, you're talking to folks, and you've got your, your communication flowing. So great choices in terms of words to lose and words to use. I'm thinking now, let's say, let's say the listener finds themselves in the, in the victim seat, or they are the ones being blamed. They are the ones people are finding fault with. They're they're getting some criticism that might even seem undue, bully-esque, just some mean, some meanies. How do you recommend we, we deal with the emotional stuff there and just sort of find our way forward effectively?
2: Well, and a lot of people find themselves in this situation these days, right, Pete? With COVID, you know, there's a lot of things happening. We have to enforce policies we don't agree with, or we need to tell someone there's nothing we can do, or we're thinking, hey, it's not my fault. Guess what? Over on the left, put the words, there's nothing or it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. Because if something goes wrong and people are blaming us and we're saying, hey, not my fault, nothing I can do, no way I can change it. Do you feel that people are concluding we don't care? So over on the right, put there's something instead of there's nothing. And I'm really going to give you one of my favorite examples of this. My Aunt Kay is 80 years old. And she still volunteers five days a week to go to her local hospital and to work from the four to eight shift. So I said, what's it been like these last few months with COVID? And she said, Sam, it's so stressful because we have a policy with only one visitor mm-hmm. per patient. And you, know, you can imagine these people, I'm the point of contact. They're taking all their anger out on me. And I said, well, what's a specific example? And she said, last week, a woman came rushing in. She held up her phone. She said, my daughter just texted. She's in ER. I need to see her. And so Aunt Kay called the ER and the nurse said, somebody's already with the daughter. The mom could not get in to see her. Mm -hmm. So the mother, understandably, goes ballistic and is taking all that anger out at Aunt Kay. Now, she could have said, hey... You know, I'm not the one who did the policy. Don't blame me. Instead, she said, Let me see if there's something, instead of there's nothing, that we can do. She called and she asked the ER nurse, Who is with the daughter? It was the Uber driver who had brought Mm -hmm. her in from the accident. Well, they explained the situation to the Uber driver, thanked him. He left. The mom got in to see the daughter. And that is a shift in mentality. You use that word victim. And if we're being blamed for something that's not our fault, the more we think, hey, this isn't fair, don't blame me, the angrier we get at them, and we perpetuate that. Instead, if we say, this won't help, let's focus on what we can do, there's something we can figure out, it shifts the whole situation.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point in terms of like, even if it is, you are absolutely the victim, Mm -hmm. no joke an injustice has occurred. Mm-hmm. You are suffering unjustly due to the hostile aggression of another, like, like a, a full-blown victim work situation in which someone has said something wildly inappropriate at you. It's true that as you, if you continue to reflect on the fact that you have suffered an injustice, it's going to make you angrier. And by shifting your attention elsewhere you can make some things happen. And I guess, of course, there's traumas and there's crimes and there's gradations here that kind of require some different responses. But yeah, that's a good thought in terms of, I felt that as well as if I fixate on the fact that I am experiencing injustice, I just get real mad. And uh, it usually doesn't propel me into a helpful place in my own experience.
2: You know, see, Pete, what you're referring to is why should we, right? Why should we take responsibility to try and be the one to solve this or to try and make this better? And let's use another real life example. I was interviewing a principal recently who, and you can imagine a principal these days, faculty's upset, students are upset, parents are upset, the school board's on them, right? It's a really hard job these days. And I asked her a situation where she was able, when someone was piling on her unfairly, how she had the presence of mind in pressure like that to be resourceful instead of resentful. And so she has a situation where there is a young man with a spinal injury and his grandmother is taking care of him. And yet they had a classroom on the third floor for third grade and this young man, and she had to tell the grandmother that he could not come to school because the elevator wasn't working and there wasn't an escape plan for him. She spent three months Mm. dealing with the fire department, trying to figure out how to hack this. The grandmother is calling her almost on a daily basis, saying, I'm exhausted. I can't take care of this young man 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, her heart's going out to this grandmother. Her heart is going out to this young man. She's trying everything she can to resolve this. And finally, she had this epiphany. Do you know what she did, Pete? Tell me. She moved the third grade classroom on the third floor down to the bottom floor (laughs) and solved the whole situation. Now, by the way, I'm not being a Pollyanna because I'm not saying everything was perfect. Everything went well. The teacher of that third grade class said, now I'm not going to be with my peers. And that is true. It was not a perfect solution. And she asked the teacher, who do we serve? We serve the students, right? And it served the students to be able to have their third grade classroom on the first floor so that this young man could attend, so they also served the parent. And it was something that was in the circumstances was the best decision. And once again, it came from this mentality of, If I put my mind to it, if I keep being proactive instead of reactive, I will come up with a rising tide solution. And it doesn't just serve me. It's going to serve the people I'm serving. And it may not be perfect. It's better than what we've got.
1: Absolutely. And those sorts of creative ideas I've discovered, and, and I think there's some good neuroscience behind this as well don't tend to come when you're angry and riled up and ready to fight (laughs) they more so tend to come when i feel kind of like relaxed i've got some space to (laughs) chew on things to to let my brain kind of dance and play around and and land somewhere because let's like say hey the third grade classroom this is just where it is that's how it's always been Mm -hmm. that's how the school is set up and then it does take a little bit of a of a shift to say oh but I suppose we could swap it because why not? I think that's a great example right there.
2: So let's go to something you're talking about, this anger we have. And by the way, Pete, this is why I juxtapose things. That's why we put a column on the left of something's gone wrong. And Elvis Presley, of all people, has a great quote about this. Do you know what he said?
1: I'm all shook up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He said that too. He said, when things go wrong, don't go with them (laughs) okay (laughs) so see on the left when things go wrong we can find fault we can tell them it's not our fault and it will not help so we shift over to the right to these responses instead of reactions here's one of my favorite examples you were talking about angry i often close my tongue fu programs with this quote from eleanor roosevelt she said no one can make us feel inferior without our consent And I've adapted that with credit to her to say no one can make us angry without our consent. And there was a gruff construction boss, and he stood up and he said, Sam, you're pulling a Pollyanna with this one. He said, you have no idea the kind of people I deal with. He said, do you mean if someone's yelling in my face, that's not supposed to make me mad? And there was a woman who stood up and she said, I'm a surgical nurse. She said, I agree with this because I've lived through it. She said, I deal with a neurosurgeon who's the most abrasive individual I have ever met. She said, he is a brilliant physician. He has zip people skills. She said, last year, I was a fraction of a second late handing him an instrument in surgery. He berated me in front of my peers. He humiliated me in front of that team. She said, it took all my professionalism just to continue with the operation and not walk out. She said, When I was driving home, I got so mad at him. I sat down at the dinner table. I told my husband what happened. I said, oh, that doctor makes me mad. She said, my husband had heard this before. He said, Judy, what time is it? She said, it's seven o'clock. He said, what time did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) She said, nine o'clock this morning. He said, Judy, is it the doctor who's making you mad? And he got up and left the table. And she said, I sat there and I thought about it and I realized it wasn't the doctor who was making me mad. The doctor wasn't even in the room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She said, I was the one who'd given him a ride home in my car. She said, I was the one who'd set him a place at my dinner table. She said, I decided right there and then that never again was that doctor welcome in my home or in my head. And when I left the hospital, I was leaving him there and never again. Was I giving him the power to poison my personal life? And so I'm asking all our listeners, Pete, you know, who do we take home with us? Who do we give a ride to in our car? You know, who do we set a place for at our dinner table? And can we promise ourselves that we will leave that person at work? We will no longer give them the power to poison that precious personal time with our loved ones at home. Well,
1: oh, Sam, that is inspiring and wise. And you're usually like, well, heck yeah, I should not allow that person to co-opt my brain for that length of time. That's just silliness. <laughs> so I think that that really installs some conviction you know, in our hearts, like, yeah, I'm not gonna let that happen anymore. That being said, when you know the rubber meets the road and you're in the heat of battle, it can be sometimes easier said than done when, when ruminations start to crop up. H- how do you recommend we, you know, put the kibosh on them?
2: Oh, Pete, I love that question. That's the perfect follow-up question, oh, right? Well, Is you. I agree with you in theory, you know, how do I do it in practice? I wrote a book called Concentrate. Stephen Covey said it was, you know, the best book you ever saw on Focus. And what you just brought up, we cannot not think about something, right? If we tell our kids don't run around the pool, what are they going to do? If I say mm-hmm. I'm not going to get mad, what are we going to do? If we're an athlete and we say, don't double fault or don't drop the ball, what are we going to do? You are right. Instead of saying, I'm not going to let that person make me mad. I'm not going to take that person home with me. Over on the left is what we don't want. Over on the right is what we do want. So it's called catch and correct as soon as we become aware whether we are telling ourselves what we don't want you better not be late again don't forget stop hitting your sister you know don't get angry that's over on the left no switch over to the right what do you want well You want to stay calm. You want to focus on what's right in your world. You want to look at this person across the table as if for the first or last time, so that you see them and you are present to them instead of preoccupied with what happened 10 years before. We want to tell our kids, Give your sister space, a hula hoop of space, which is something to do instead of stop hitting your sister. We want to say be five minutes early instead of don't be late. It's remember to tell your boss this when you walk in in the morning instead of don't forget. So you are right is that we fill our mind with words and language and images of what we do want instead of telling ourselves what we don't.
1: That's handy. And so then I imagine in the nasty surgeon example, you have an intentionality associated with, this is how I'm going to be, do, feel, conduct myself. And by visualizing that and prepping it in advance, you're more likely to remember, oh, that jerk, I want to kill him. Oh, wait a (laughs) sec. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be like, calm or joyful or curious, fill in the blank. And that's how we're going to roll as opposed to fixating on, oh, don't, don't imagine stabbing him with a scalpel. Don't imagine <laughs> you know, cutting his finger off, you know, whatever. I'm getting really violent here oh, yeah, in the surgery room.
2: And Pete, see, I'm a pragmatist as well. So if people are thinking, oh, this is this woo-woo Pollyanna stuff, you know, what if this person is really egregious? What if what they're doing, I'm just supposed to ignore it? So here is the bottom line action we can take as well. There's the mindset and there's also then the, the mechanics of pragmatic action. When we're not happy with the situation, there's three things we can do. We can change the other person. We can change a situation. We can change ourselves. So we jump to number three, changing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the first two. Well, yeah. How do you do that? (laughs) Okay. Here is the good news. There is strength in numbers. And so changing the other person in many industries these days, it used to be that if this was this neurosurgeon was a rainmaker, even if the nurses were complaining, administrators didn't care because this neurosurgeon was famous and a rainmaker. Now there is strength in numbers, and if you document the behavior, if you have witnesses to the behavior, if you report objectively with the W's, what was said. When was this said? You know, what was the impact of what was said? And it is reported to HR. They are required to act on documented reports of egregious behavior that is not subjective. I didn't like what this person said. Yeah,
1: he was rude. I was bullied. That's right. That's a little bit subject to interpretation as opposed to he said, mm-hmm. you are a moron and I hate you. It's like, okay, that's a direct quote.
2: Remember, action is it yeah. And that's why what you just said, Pete, about it needs to be the dialogue, not like he was really offensive. HR can't do anything with that or a business owner can't do anything with that. When you quote what someone was said, when you put the time that it happened, not yesterday, no, it happened at 917, right in Mm -hmm. the middle of this, the more objective evidence of this unacceptable behavior, the more actionable it is. So we can maybe change the other person, we can change the situation. Now, you maybe think, well, I don't wanna switch to another department or I've got three more years in this government job, I'm not gonna retire or something like that. So sometimes though we can change the situation and the good news is even if we can't change the person or can't change the situation, even if you decide that person's a jerk, I've done everything I can, no one's taking responsibility and I don't wanna quit, I don't want to leave. I need this. Then that third act is always an option. And we change ourselves. We could almost put like a plastic bubble around us. And whatever that person says just bounces harmily off us. It just bounces off of it. Never gets under our skin. It never invades us so that we're still thinking about it a day or a week or a month later. All right. Thank you. And
1: We talked about changing the other person and one pathway is the, okay, documentation, building a case, HR, business owner, senior executive, kind of direct challenge in that way. Do you have any suggestions in terms of of how one might do this delicate diplomatic (laughs) dance associated with, hey boss,
2: you know, when you did this, I didn't like that.
1: Any thoughts for how to have that conversation, like when and how and if?
2: Okay, so see, now we're moving. We're going to move into bully territory here because, okay. see, I believe 95% of people care what's fair. I believe 95% of people have a conscience. They actually want to cooperate. They want a win-win. Guess what? Five percenters, they don't want a win-win. They want to win. They don't want to cooperate. They want to control. You know, they don't follow the rules. They break the rules because they know that it's going to get them what they want. So if we are dealing with someone at work, and this person is a five-percenter, and that means they have a pattern of violating people's rights, of not playing by the rules, it's not a one-time, they're not having a bad day. It's like they do it all the time on purpose. I'm going to say something that flies in the face of everything you've heard. Ready? All righty. Do not use the word I. Because haven't we been taught, Pete, that we're supposed to say, I don't think that's fair. I don't like to be spoken to in that tone of voice. Guess what? Bullies don't care what's fair. They don't have a conscience. They're actually going to think, good, I'm glad it's bothering (laughs) you. It was supposed to bother you. I am going to suggest we use the word you. You, back off. You, enough. You, speak to me with respect. So here are just a variety of ways to do that. Say there's somebody that's handsy on the job, Mm. and this person is in your space. And now, Pete, this isn't an abstract concept. We have a hula hoop of space. I mean, right now, people put your hand out, stretch out in front of you, stretch out inside of you, stretch out behind you. That's three feet. We have our physical space, and animals know you don't get in my space, right? (laughs) It's like you get in my face or in my space, we have the right to back someone off, which is why if someone has a habit of getting in your face or in your space, number one, stand up. Because often they do that when we're sitting down. Because see, they're in the dominant position, we're in the submissive position, right? When we stand up, What we are letting them know is not only are we leveling the playing ground, we are saying, I won't take this sitting down. I will stand up for myself. We haven't said a word. We've changed the power dynamic of I am dominating you. I am towering over you. You are sitting and cowering and submissive. So you stand up, number one, like someone puts their hand on you or something like that. You look at their hand, you look at them. You look at your hand, mm. you look at them. Often, you don't have to say a word. Do you see how, though, you are calling them on their behavior? Right. You are keeping the attention where it deserves, which is what they're doing that is out of line. They have crossed the line, and you are drawing the line. And another part of that, once again, is the word you. Is just to say you. Keep that to yourself. You that's enough. That's the last time you say that to me. And when we say it standing tall with our shoulders up and back, instead of our shoulders crunched up like this, which is just the weak submissive position, then essentially what we're saying is that we are letting that person know that doesn't work here anymore.
1: All right. Intriguing. So if we diagnose that we've got a 5% straight up bully without a conscience. (laughs) And I guess we'd assess that, as you mentioned, by seeing a track record of violating people's rights and just not giving a hoot about it repeatedly. Then we completely flip the script and change the rule book that we're following instead of not sharing how it made you feel and and your concerns and why that's important, because they don't care about any of that, but rather just straight up establishing this is the boundary.
2: That's and and if you would like, Pete, I've got a quiz. It's a bully quiz, and and there are ten behaviors, and many people they don't even use the word bully, and they don't understand that like an eight year old can be a bully, an eighty year old can be a bully, and the lights that go on when you say yes, um, this person, you know, I I talk on eggshells around this person because they're so volatile. I never know what's going to say. Yes, uh, they're a Jekyll and a Hyde. They're charming one moment. Cruel the next. Yes, they have to control every decision. And anyone who dares to say something else, they're gonna railroad that person. So if you would like, I'll send that to you. You can make it available to your listeners. And and if you take that quiz and this person you're dealing with, you know, does many of these behaviors most of the time, then it requires a whole different set of skills because once again appealing to their sense of fair play, appealing to their good nature or their conscience. They will never think, oh, that was, you know, that wasn't fair. That wasn't right. I am so sorry. They will never self-reflect or self-correct. It will always be someone else's fault. And that's how we need to set up and keep the attention on what they're doing instead of our reaction to it.
1: All right. Thank you. Well, Sam, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
2: How about ask another question? I love your get real. If I'm in this situation, say something that I actually can do. It's not just sounding good. So one more question from you and I'll give you a response. Oh, sure thing.
1: Is there ever a time in which we should consider just exiting that situation (laughs) entirely (laughs) like the bubble isn't going to cut it (laughs) like how do we know that this is where we are in terms of the hopeless situation
2: i'm just so glad you brought that up tennessee williams said sometimes it is time to leave even when there is no particular place to go and in the bully book toward the end After all of these pragmatic things that you can do to improve the situation, to stand up and speak up for yourself, etc., if none of that works, then it's time for us to remove ourselves from the situation and to make sure to not see it as a failure. One of the reasons I wrote the bully book is because here I was, the Queen of Tung Fu, which, of course, Mm -hmm. is based on what Gandhi said about be the change you wish to see. doesn't work with bullies, Pete, (laughs) because, see, once again, they're not trying to act in good conscience. They're trying to control. So a good friend said, you know, Sam, William Blake said that that we are all born innocent, and at some point we will encounter evil. And at that point, we either become embittered, and we see the world as a dark place, and it defines and defeats us, or we become—are you ready for two really fantastic words, Pete? Mm Mm-hmm. Informed innocence. And informed innocence— are no longer naive or idealistic. We understand that evil exists. We understand that there are people out there who will wreak habit and they will not be responsible for the consequences. And that removing ourselves from the sphere of that individual is not defeat. It is us stepping up on behalf of what we believe, and that is that people treat each other with respect. People act with integrity. And if we have tried everything and this person is not. Going to change and the situation is going to change, then I am going to remove myself from it and align myself with people who do act in integrity and do behave responsibly because that's how I believe life is supposed to be.
1: All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: One is from Arthur Rubenstein. He said, I have found if you love life, Life will love you back. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful, though? (laughs) And uh, the other is from Catherine Graham of the Washington Post. And she said, to do what you love and feel that it matters, how could anything be more fun?
1: And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of
2: research? I love podcasts. I believe angels whisper to a woman when she walks, and so I walk and I listen to podcasts, and that's my favorite research. And a quick example of that is: uh, Do you ever listen to Jonathan Fields' uh, Good Life Project, by any chance? Oh, I have. Yeah, sure. He had Adam Grant on yesterday from uh, with just came. You know, Wharton uh, organizational development guy just came out with a brand new book called Think Again. And he said something counterintuitive and contrarian, which is one of the reasons I try to listen to podcasts that challenge my thinking. And he said, you know, we all talk about imposter syndrome and how doubts take us down. And, and he said that he believes that imposter syndrome can actually serve us by instead of assuming that we know what is best or that this is the right action, that that questioning process of looking at it again and getting different input actually produces a better result. And I love the contrarian nature of taking something that we all think is bad and twisting and turning it and seeing that it actually can add value.
1: Thank you. And a favorite book? (laughs)
2: I grew up in a small town in Southern California, more horses than people. So I read the Black Stallion series by Walter Farley. And I will always be grateful to Walter Farley because he gave me a window on the world. And we had a thousand people our entire mountain valley and reading about these international adventures and these exciting horse races. And this young boy who is adventurous and independent uh, really helped me see beyond where I was. And so Black Stallion was really pivotal in my life.
1: And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job.
2: I juxtapose everything. People say, Sam, how does your brain work? And I believe the quickest way to make a complex idea crystal clear is to put a vertical line down the center of a piece of paper. And on the left is what doesn't work. And on the right is what does. It's what sabotages our success, what supports it, what compromises our effectiveness, what contributes, what hurts, what helps. And that if we want support for an idea... If we juxtapose problem and solution, issue and answer, and we make those words alliterative, that we are going to be able to get people on the same page because we will be able to show the shift with this crystal clear, clean, compelling language. Mm -hmm. And by the time people get to the end of the page, you're going to say yes.
1: Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you frequently.
2: I gave a TEDx talk, and I understood that if we want to make a difference over time, it's got to rhyme. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I said, if you want to succeed, you must intrigue. And I really believe that our career success depends on our communication skills, and it depends on saying something that is so memorable that people can repeat it and act on it weeks or months, even years after they first heard it.
1: Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Well, they're welcome to go to our website, which is real easy to remember. It's SamHorn.com, it's S-A-M-H-O-R-N, and I've got three TEDx talks there. We really try and make it so that if you go there, it's not just about my products and services, it's about, you know, boy, here's a post on how I can be repeatable and retreatable. Here's a post on a how, you know, that quiz on how I can deal with bullies. Uh, boy, here's those words to lose, words to use, so that I can think on my feet and handle challenging people in the moment instead of thinking of the perfect response on the way home
1: well this has been a hoot Sam thank you for bringing the goods and best of luck in your continued communication adventures
2: thanks so much I enjoyed it I hope people found this inspiring and insightful and useful Pete
1: I was intrigued with sam's take there that no one can make you angry without your consent that really builds off of what we were talking about just recently with chris croft and happiness and how you choose happiness is indeed you do indeed have the power i have the power it's easy to forget to choose the emotion now i think one path can be certainly much more natural easy instinctive and reactive but nonetheless you still have the choice and so as sam puts it No one can make you angry without your consent, and you can choose which emotion you're going to roll with. Maybe not instantly, but after a good breath, you could make that call. So great stuff from Sam. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP651. Hope to catch you next time, and peace.